Welcome to the Joys of Binge Reading, the show for anyone who ever got to the end of a great book and wanted to read the next instalment. We interview successful series authors and recommend the best in mystery, suspense, historical and romance series, so you'll never be without a book you can't put down. You'll find this episode's show notes, a free ebook, and lots more information at thejoysofbingereading.com. And now, here's our show. USA Today best-selling author Patricia McClinn turned from the macho world of sports journalism to writing romance and then moved on to mysteries. She's published close to 50 books in half a dozen different series and she's still got so many ideas popping out of her head for new books, she doesn't have time to write them all. Hi there, I'm your host Jenny Wheeler and today Patricia talks about the magic of Wyoming where two of her most recent series are set, and how the writing scene has changed since she got started. But before we talk to Patricia, just a reminder that the show notes for this binge reading episode are available on the website, thejoysofbingereading.com. That's where you'll find a full transcript of our chat, plus links to Patricia's books and website, as well as details about how to subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss future episodes. But now, here's Patricia. Hello there, Patricia, and welcome to the show. It's great to have you with us. Well, thank you so much for inviting me. It's wonderful to get to visit New Zealand even by audio. (laughs) (laughs) That's lovely. And I think for readers who don't know it, you're sitting in Kentucky, aren't you? I am. Yeah, that's great. Look, beginning at the beginning, before you got into your amazing fiction career, you were a sports journalist who turned her hand to romance. Now, these two worlds seem eons apart. You know, the sports world is supposedly the macho jock world. So how did that happen? And was there a once upon a time moment that was the catalyst for it all? Well, I I was always interested in writing fiction. Um, From the time I was a little kid and I discovered that people were behind the books, you know, the books didn't just appear. I thought that was fascinating and I wanted to do it. Um, My parents thought something a little more practical (laughs) might be a good idea to fall back on than, you know, writing novels from when you're, you know, right out of school. So not wanting to be too practical, (laughs) I got a degree, um, my undergraduate degree is actually in English composition, uh, for which you will never see a want ad. Nobody wants to hire an English composition uh, graduate. So then I added a journalism degree, and uh, not being, as I said, entirely practical, I went into sports, because I've always loved sports, and I just... I thought this will be fun, and it has was was great fun for a long time. And the first newspaper, I was um, a sports writer, the first really female sports writer that they'd had there. They they had had a female before, but she didn't know anything about sports, and um, so I was the first one who was actually really covering sports, and it was so much fun. Um, I got assigned a lot of sports that had not had coverage before. So the people loved me because all of a sudden they were showing up in the paper. Um, and plus all the, the traditional sports too. It was quite the experience. And then 
the the novels always kept nagging at me and pulling at me. Um, and it was a very kind of roundabout route to to get to the point where I was writing um, and and really hoping to do stories. And that by that time, I'd gone to another newspaper where I, I was um, I worked up. I was assistant sports editor, and then was recruited to the Washington Post. So I'm at the Washington Post, and was trying to write um, on the side. And I I didn't know exactly what I wanted to write, and I I did write a book that I look back now, and it had just about every genre in it except for horror, <laughs> <laughs> and maybe sci-fi. I had sports, I had romance, I had history, I had international intrigue. I you know I threw everything into it, and and I sent it off to agents and editors, and I did everything wrong, everything wrong. And I had one rejection letter from um, an editor that, to my sorrow in my various moves, I've lost. But it started with, um, it is clear you know nothing about the publishing industry. (laughs) (laughs) But then she hit what what she liked. And one of the things she said is that um, I had overplotted for my characters and I needed stronger characters and I should look at romance because without romance, you didn't have, without good characters, you did not have a story. And I had never really read it. So I started reading these books and it was, it was an aha moment because what it told me is um, the reason like in War and Peace, the reason I was so fascinated with peace and the war was like, yeah, 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 they're having another battle. Big deal. Let's get back to the, <laughs> let's get back to the relationships and the, and the, and the people and what makes people tick and, and how they interact. And, um, and that was what really drew me to, to romance. So yes, I started that. And one of my, one of my, um, fondest memories of when my first romance novel came out, I had a book signing, and many of the guys from the sports department came. And then we were all back at work that night, and they're reading through the book, and they're like, <gasps> "You know, they had no, they had no idea." <laughs> so it was really fun shaking them up. <laughs> So I don't know if I'm correct in thinking that that first one was a, a really classic romance. It was a wedding series, was it? No, actually, my first romance was a book called Hoops. Um, and the the uh, protagonist, he's a college basketball coach, and she is the team's academic advisor, a team that's just gone from one level to the highest level in college basketball um, in the U.S., um, NCAA Division One, and so there's there's a lot of conflict of where they each think they're doing the right thing for the players, but sometimes those things come in conflict. Um, oh, I can see why your sports colleagues would have enjoyed that one. Yes, yes. <laughs> but then you did you you have now moved on to more classic romance amongst other things so you've got a mind-boggling at least five different series that you still seem to be keeping alive and most recently that's included mystery um how did that transition happen from romance to mystery 
Well, I was always interested in writing mystery because I had I, I started reading mysteries. My friend Marion introduced me to mysteries um, right out of college. Uh, finished the uh, master's program in journalism and we were buddies in um, in that program and I had never read them I, I'd read more of the classics and she introduced me to those and I just loved them um, the kind of classic uh, uh, Agatha Christie um, Nio Marsh love Nio Marsh uh, yeah um, some of the mysteries by Georgette Hare I love those too, because a lot of them included humor as as along with the mysteries, um, and but just the way things happened, I went into the romance first, and but mystery was always kind of calling to me. The other issue for me was that I am a pantser from, and if your listeners know the difference between plotters and pantsers, um, I am an I write out a sequence. I don't start at the beginning and work to the end. I kind of write what I know when I know it and then put it together. Um, and I thought, I, I can't do a mystery that way. And finally, I had <laughs> the recognition that, well, I wasn't writing a mystery by thinking I couldn't write a mystery. So if at least if I used my out-of-sequence method, um, I was good. I would be closer to trying than I was by not doing anything. So I I just started diving in and and started writing that one. Yes, yeah, yes. It is. I imagine that it is a little bit more difficult to do mysteries when the pantser method is, as you say, where you don't necessarily plot it out ahead of time. You just hope you you write write and hope that you're going to follow some sort of logical line by the character development, really, aren't you? Yes, and and you have to do a lot of editing um, when you write when I do when I write out a sequence. I, I need to go back and make sure that those pieces fit together. But I think journalism editing really helps there because I had done so many things where um, I would take pieces of wire stories and and meld them together for the newspaper I was working for. So I was sort of used to taking bits and pieces and making it into a whole. Yeah, yeah. That's my excuse anyhow. I think it's just the way my brain works. <laughs> <laughs> it's a little bit like a patchwork quilt. <laughs> yes, it is, very much so. Um, now, they're mainly set in small-town America, and two of the series, the Wildflowers, Wyoming Wildflowers and Court in Wyoming, are both obviously set in the state of Wyoming. Now, what mm-hmm. you, you live in Kentucky yourself, so what's the attraction of Wyoming? I I had a free airline ticket, um, and I, I had suffered horribly for this free airline ticket. That it was it was one of those things where they asked for volunteers, and to and I should have been in the next plane an hour later, and instead it ended up being a fourteen hour saga. You know, it was just <laughs> awful. Um, and I decided I was going to fly to some place that I'd never been to before, that I didn't think. Um, it was likely that writing conferences would take me there. And that was really expensive to fly to. <laughs> so I would get the <laughs> maximum out of my free airline ticket. And I, it's, it came down to Wyoming. And I flew into Sheridan, Wyoming, because the, the rental cars were cheaper there. This is 
<laughs> how things happen. And I, I just sort of drove across the the northern part of the state from Sheridan over the Bighorn Mountains through the Bighorn Basin and into Cody, Wyoming, and then into Yellowstone Park, which is amazing, and looped up into southern Montana and came back. And I was fascinated. It was just... Um, I grew up in Illinois. I had spent a lot of time in North Carolina and then the D.C. area, which Virginia and the um, Blue Ridge Mountains. And so I, I knew that this was really my first introduction to the Rocky Mountains. And it was just so different and so fascinating. And the people uh, the people I encountered were wonderful and a lot of really dry humor. Um, I just... Uh, I was smitten, and so I, I had, um, I had a story idea that came from a vignette, a romance story, um, that I saw as I drove by of uh, a cowboy. I mean, you know, the hat, the clothes, the whole thing, and he's standing at the gate into a ranch, and on the other side, on the outside of the gate, is a woman in a business suit, and there was, there was, just that. <laughs> moment and you could see their body language and there was a whole lot going on there <laughs> and, and it just kept coming back into my head and you know who were they and um and then spinning the story from that you know not no longer who were they but who could they be and what could be going on and 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 just playing with it and that became my first book set in Wyoming called Not a Family Man and, oh, fantastic! Yeah. yeah, was that is that part of one of the series? I haven't come across that one. I must admit, it was um, it was initially a standalone book, and then um, what I've done with some of my standalone books from my backlist is I blended them into ongoing um, series, so they um, become kind of the the backstory to a new book. So that is backstory to the book of The Forgotten Prince. Right. Okay. Yeah. You are traditionally published, aren't you? I was. I was. But you're, you're now doing indie publishing? I'm now 100% indie as of July 15. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. So we must talk a little about that um, transition, but we'll do that a little later. Okay. Just just continuing with the romance aspect of it, and in two decades, you've written more than 25 books. How many books is it now? Oh, total, I think, I, I'm into the 40s. I think I may be at oh. 45. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. And And the bulk of that is romance, probably 75% romance, is it? Yes, some of the romances have elements of um, mystery or suspense in them, but they are predominantly romance, yes. And then yeah. I have the six so far um, in the Caught Dead in Wyoming series. And yeah. more mystery series to come. Oh, fantastic. Just talking a little about the way that romance has changed over that time, um, what are you seeing and, and how is it affecting your, your work? Well, when I was traditionally published, being traditionally published, I was always told that I was pushing the envelope. And I, I, in all honesty, I was not trying. I was just writing the stories that I was interested in. And I was like, what envelope? Where? What? 
don't, <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. Um, so I, I, I have never felt that I was particularly the mainstream of romance. Um, right. With the with the emergence of the indie um, the indie model being possible for authors there is so much diversity in romance now that i think you know you you could want to read just about any kind of story and you can find it out there you know from from absolutely you know squeaky clean about um 50-year-old farmers, you know, you, you're going to be yeah. able to find yeah. one. Yeah. To, yeah. Um, there, there are some trends that, <laughs> that I think, whoa, okay. <laughs> um, so I tend not to follow the trends. Um, I think there is, there, there's a lot of, there are a lot of trends that come up rise or uh, of great interest and they drop very quickly. Um, I, I'm just, I'm not interested in that. I, I like to know the characters and, and I want to know what makes them tick and what their lives are like. And that tends to not be as prevalent um, to be able to explore that in in the shorter um, and trendier books. So I, I think one of the – so I think what would – the big change from from where traditional publishing dominated it to where the indie comes out is that you do have this great diversity, and um, no matter what you like to read, you can find it somewhere within the romance umbrella. And romance readers themselves have always been probably the most diverse readers of any genre. They are more willing to go outside the genre and to experiment than probably any other genre group of genre readers. Um, and now they're getting to do it even more. Yeah, that's great. That's great. Now you've added a podcast to your accomplishments. Um, your podcast is Authors Love Readers, where you delve into, as you describe it, the stories behind the stories. Why start a podcast? Many of my friends <laughs> have asked me that. It's like, you don't have enough to do. Yeah, um, exactly. Well, I, I was very interested in it for because there are a lot of podcasts out there, and I, I don't know if the readers are aware of that, this, but there are a whole lot of them out there about the business of writing. And I... Um, I listen to a lot of them. I'm a fan of a lot of them. But I also wanted this kind of counterbalancing voice to be out there. And and that when writers get together to talk about some of the things um, that we talk about with the craft. And then what really sparked it was a conversation with some readers at an event last year, 2017. And um, they were saying how wonderful it was to, to meet writers in, pe- in person and to be able to, you know, kind of get to know them as people and um, ask them questions and, and, you know, that they never got to talk to, to writers. And I thought, I talk to writers all the time. <laughs> and, uh, and I love asking questions. So um, that 
sparked the idea that I would be the designated question asker and gather some of my writer buddies and we would talk about, um, you know, how stories come to be and what's the best part and what's the worst part and how do you, um, how you, how you create a story and how a story can take off on you and, you know, all, all these kind of behind the scenes elements. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I felt much the same really that, um, although, the craft, I mean, the um, marketing, author marketing sort of podcasts are very, very good for people who are writing. Mm-hmm. They've got no interest for readers, really. Absolutely at all. not. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Look, moving to a more general focus away from specific books, is there one thing you've done in your writing career more than any other that's been the secret to your success? Mm. I, I, you know, part of me wants to say, um, what success? <laughs> Endurance. Let's put it that uh, I have endured. Um, and I, I have two, not conflicting, but one thought is because I have um, respected my process and I have made decisions um, based on the writing rather than on business or career. Um which have hurt me in the business and the career aspect at times, but have let me stick around for a long time because I, I'm still enjoying the writing and the, and the stories come to me and um, I, I, you know, I, I, I keep on keeping on <laughs> and, and have been around a long, a long enough time and stuck around for good things to happen on the business and and career side. So there's that. The other aspect, what I think of is, uh, I always go back to the characters. Um, I, I'm Maybe it's because it's what is important to me in reading that uh, I am particularly de- delighted when a review will say that the readers feel like people they could know and would want to know. There's um, a quote by the actress Jessica Tandy who said that, um, this is paraphrasing, but she said she always wanted to write movies or be in movies that when people came out of the theater, they were glad to be a member of the human race. And those are the kind of books that I want to write, I hope I do write, and that I want to read. Yeah, that's lovely. And 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 I can see where the slightly the small town um, community aspect of a lot of your work, people really get to know each other. They're they're not um, being overwhelmed by a big city and and the personal relationships, even even having to get along with people that you might normally in a in a bigger city be able to totally avoid. That's all. <laughs> <laughs> that's all yeah. part of human life, isn't it? But I, I will also say that like in. You mentioned the wedding series, and those those books take part. Um, the initial books take part mostly in Chicago and Washington D.C., and so big city, and and subsequent books in D.C. But there's still a community. There there are connections, and there's um, and, and some of them are family, but they are not all. There's a community of of friends, and to me that is um, vital. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. If you were going to take your readers on a magical mystery literary tour, is there anywhere in particular that you'd like to take them? And I, I realise with so many different series, it might be quite hard to pick a favourite. But um, 
Wyoming might come up there. Yeah. Um, well, it probably to to Sherman, which is the town in um, Cot Dead in Wyoming. Um, it's I, I actually sort of borrowed some of the county that Cody, Wyoming is in. It's called Park County. So um, people who know Wyoming well will recognize where I've I've located Sherman. Um, so they'd have to really have good imagination. <laughs> it's kind of out in the middle, there's there's not much there. Um, but I've done that a lot. My, my second book, uh, my second romance is called A New World, and it was set in Gloucester, Massachusetts, which was my dad's hometown. And I added a beach in there, which if you could do it, you could make a lot of money because that would be good <laughs> real estate. But... Um, I, because I like to have the surroundings of the real world, and then and then the elbow room of of fictional within that. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. That's great. <laughs> I, you know what, Jenny? I cannot decide where to take them because I think, oh, Gloucester, and I think, oh, Wyoming, and I think, oh, Washington D.C. at Christmas that can be really cool. Oh, Chicago, I love Chicago area. <laughs> I want to take them everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's great. Look, turning to Patricia as reader, because we do call this podcast The Joys of Binge Reading. Okay. Have you been a binge reader and are you at this stage? Do you have time for reading at all at this stage? You know what? It, what's lovely, I mentioned some of those mysteries um, that that it introduced me to mysteries and uh, that I like. One of the hard things when you become a writer is um, – reading. <laughs> you lose some of that joy because you see the um, professionalism behind it. You're, you're, you're watching the mechanisms. You can't help but see how, how they're doing what they're doing. So f- what I have found is that I have certain comfort reads and I can go back to books that I read before I became a writer and re-enter that readership world. So I'd go back and I reread the Nia Marsh and the Georgia Hare, um, both her romances and her mysteries. Uh, Rex Stout, I read read a lot. Um, I'm looking at my bookshelves right now. Uh, Josephine Tay, I like hers a lot. Oh, yes. Yeah. yeah. Daughter of does, Time. <laughs> That's, does that mean that you still are a hard book reader rather than a Kindle reader? I I consume books in all formats. I have uh-huh. an audiobook going in the car. I usually have one or two um, hardcover or, or print books. I usually have one or two um, e-books because I read uh, both on an iPad mini and on my phone. So it depends on where I am and what I'm doing at the time and what I'm in the mood for. Yeah. And do you get invited to do blurbs for coming up new, new writers' books? Are you... Do you have to read a certain amount of books in a professional capacity? Um, not too many, but I I do have one coming up, um, and and I've been delighted to do that for some some fellow authors. Um, but I have I've really done very few in my career. Right, okay, <laughs> maybe, yeah. maybe they're afraid. <laughs> <laughs> Look, circling around to the beginning again and coming to the end because we are running out of time. At this stage in your career, if you were doing it all over again, 
What would you change, if anything? I would, I would believe in myself more and um, not think I had to do things the way other people did. The, the, that may be a fallacy, though, because um, when I started, there, there weren't too many ways to do it. You know, you had to get, th- you had to get through the agents and editors to get published, um, to reach the readers. And, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, so, you know, I, I did what I had to do. I'll tell you, I, I know one thing. <laughs> I would not kick myself as much. It is a really lousy exercise program. <laughs> and, <laughs> and I have found often that things that I kick myself for at, at various stages later on turned out to have benefits. And so you just never know. So you make the best decision you can with the information you have at the time, and you move on. And and tell me, what might be one of those examples of something you thought at the time maybe wasn't such a good thing and it turned out to be a hidden blessing? Um, I stayed with um, Harlequin, um, and it, uh-huh. then it was Silhouette. I felt I stayed longer than I should have. Um, it was, I, by gum, I was going to succeed there. <laughs> I was going to make it work. And it was a difficult time. Um, my books never did, uh, sold well enough for them to kind of give me latitude or give me some freedom. They never sold poorly enough that they cut me loose. So I was determined to to succeed and kept trying and trying and it was um pretty miserable uh and i'm not sure it was fun for them either <laughs> so, uh and and i kicked myself afterwards for for not leaving sooner well many of those the books that i wrote during that period then became the backbone of my backlist when i became indie and yes. gave me the jump start and the flexibility um, to build that career or build build that presence as an indie author. So, you know, <laughs> you just you yeah. never know, and y- you sure. do the best you can and keep keep writing. Now, you mentioned enticingly earlier on about another mystery series. What <laughs> is next for Patricia as writer, and what? projects do you have under development? I have many <laughs> projects under development. <laughs> and if you're talking about in the back of my head, oh my goodness. Um, there will be another book in the Caught Dead in Wyoming series in 2018. It's uh, aiming in August and it's called Cold Open. And then there's a book after that. I don't know the title yet, but I know some about the story, another Caught Dead book that I really want to do. That would See, the one not Next, but after that is always the most enticing. Um, I'm also going. I'm going to release a book called Proof of Innocence, and this is um, a little darker than the Caught Dead series, and uh, something that has been nagging at me for a long time. And it will let, have a follow-up book um, called The Price of It, or not the, but just Price of Innocence. Um, but Proof will be out in 2018, price uh, probably 2019. And then there's a whole new mystery series. Um, I'm not sure of the the, um, series name of that, 
but it will be a little lighter than the Cot Dead in Wyoming series um, and probably set in Kentucky. Um, and then <laughs> there's uh, at least um, there's a romance I want to write that connects two of my current series, um, uh, Bardville, Wyoming, and A Place Called Home. Those are two trilogies, and the characters from those two sets of books will um, meet in this new book. And I'm not quite sure of the title of that one, but I have I have pieces of it. <laughs> And then I want to do a Christmas mystery novella and another novella for um, for my Wyoming Wildflowers series. Um, and then there's this eight-book historical romance series about the history of Wyoming. <laughs> oh, wonderful. <laughs> someday, someday. And then what caught me with that one is I wrote – I wrote one book and I thought it was the first book and then it turns out it's the second book. <laughs> so <laughs> so I got to go back and write the first one before I can release the second one, but I'll get there someday. So how many books how how fast do you produce? Not fast enough. <laughs> new new ideas come <laughs> before I more new ideas are always coming in than I can clear out. So um it keeps sure. becoming yeah. a backlog. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, Patricia, it's been wonderful talking to you. Tell me, where can readers find you online? I mean, a, a writer like you probably is very good to go to something like Books in Order to get to get it clear, all of the different series and and where they sit. But but where can readers find you online? Well, com, and it's M-C-L-I-N-N. And uh, there is a printable book list uh, on the website. So if you look at under books, uh, that's an option in the drop down menu. And my wonderful assistant Kay keeps that up to date. Um, I'm on Facebook as Patricia McLean, Twitter as Patricia McLean, um, Pinterest as Patricia McLean, Instagram. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm there as Patricia McLean author, I think, or something weird. Um, I tried to do Patricia McLean and I think I own Patricia McLean at Instagram, but I don't know how to get back to it. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, so I'm on those I'm on those spots on um, um, social media. But if you see me there too often, yell at me, tell me to get back to work. <laughs> well, look, it's been wonderful talking today. I thank you so much for your wisdom and entertainment. Thank you so much. Thank you very much for letting me visit. New Zealand for a little bit this, this afternoon, my afternoon, your morning. It's a, been a delight, Jenny. That's lovely. Bye. Thanks a lot. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Joys of Binge Reading podcast. You can find all the details and links for this episode at www.thejoysofbingereading.com. We'd love to hear your comments and suggestions for who you'd like us to interview next. And if you enjoyed the show, take a moment to subscribe on iTunes or a similar provider so you won't miss out on future guests. Thanks for joining us and happy reading. The Joys of Binge Reading podcast is put together with fantastic technical help from Dan Cotton and Abe Raffles. Dan is an experienced sound and video engineer who's ready and available to help you with your next project. Seek him out at dcaudioservices at gmail.com That's D for Daniel, 
cforcharlieaudioservices at gmail.com or check our show notes. He's fast, he takes pride in getting it right and he's great to work with. Our voiceovers are done by Abe Raffles, another gem of sound and screen. Abe has 20 years of experience on both sides of the camera slash microphone. As a cameraman director and also as a voice artist and TV presenter. I think you'd agree that his voice is both light-hearted and warm. He is super easy to work with no matter what the job. You'll find him at Abe, A-B-E, at pointandshoot.co.nz. As I say, the full details in the show notes on the website. That's it for now. Thanks for listening. Hopefully see you next week. Bye.